What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Texan Overtime Podcast. It's our first episode of spring 2020 semester. I'm joined by our new sports editor at the Daily Texan, Marcus Crum. What's going on, fam? What's up? And I'm joined uh, from the Dallas Morning News, Alex Brasenio. I'm never leaving. You never, never, ever, never. <laughs> when did when did you write your thirty column? Like, like probably three years ago. No, uh, it's it's, the, it's a, it a decade now, and you're still. Yeah, uh, it was a while. year ago. It was after last fall semester. It's been a while. Twenty. Yeah, but so twenty eighteen. So we're we're gonna talk about um about Texas basketball. Um, later on in the show, we're going to have one of our writers, uh, Maya Taylor. She's going to come on and she's going to talk about women's basketball. But, you know, everybody knows the drill here, right? We always have an icebreaker. Um, this icebreaker isn't as, it's not as fun as what it usually is. Obviously, this week, um, there was a, a fatal helicopter crash out in Calabasas, California, uh, with, you know, head, headlined um, by by the death of Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna Bryant. Um, you know, Co- Kobe was 41. And uh, also on that helicopter was um, John uh, Aldabelli, uh, the former teammate of uh, head baseball coach David Pierce here at UT. Um, and so along with, with those three, six other people died in that crash. You know, it um, it happened on Sunday and and so I guess for for this icebreaker, and we'll get into into um, David Pierce's relationship with Otto Belly later. But for right now, I just want to ask you two if you guys have a favorite Kobe Bryant moment. Yeah, mine. It's probably shared with millions of people, but that last game, I think I remember I was we were all in high school, I think, um, and just leading up to that game, you were expecting some type of send-off. You weren't sure how many shots he could get up, how many minutes he could play, but you knew that this was Kobe Bryant. You knew what he meant to the Lakers, to the NBA, to us growing up as basketball fans, how many memories he gave us, and you were like, all right, like, you know, this is it for you. Like, what are you going to give us? And he had 45 points, and they were down by what? A double, I think they were down double digits with about, what, three minutes left? I think so. And he looked done. And I remember watching that live, and I was like, "All right, man, just get to fifty, and you know, take the L." But you put up fifty. He put up. Fi- he didn't miss after that. He put up fifteen more, dropped sixty, and they won. Um, and I remember watching the. They re-aired it. I think it was Monday night on ESPN, um, and it was just as incredible watching it again. And it, I mean, it was heartbreaking because it's still kind of hard to to imagine something like that happening. Um, but that has to be it for me. I mean, all the memories that he gave with, I mean, the Spurs heartbreaking. He just killed us so many times and we got some games against like some series against him, but that last game is really what summed up what he meant uh, to basketball fans. Yeah. I think um, growing up a, a Mavs fan, I uh, got to watch some incredible battles between him and Dirk through the years. Um, and that was, I mean, as, as Dirk is my favorite player, I, I, People have talked a lot about how much people love to hate Kobe, and I think I was in that camp of, man, like, I hate Kobe, but, like, that dude was just a killer, and that's why I hated him is because he, he killed the Mavs every time. Um, I think some some moments that stick out in my head, uh, specifically in games that I watched, other than his final game, I think that was uh, just phenomenal. But um, I remember he's on the bench, 
and it's it's an aging Dirk um, hits a baseline jumper to go ahead late in the game. Oh, yeah, I saw that clip today. And yeah, and Kobe like gives him a, a pat on the back, and Dirk like turns around and acknowledges it, and that was like, I think the amount of respect that everybody in the game had for Kobe, but then just the amount of respect Kobe had for the game of basketball, like acknowledging, you know, an opponent hitting a game-winning shot against his team. Um, I, I think that just goes to prove I, Kobe was more than um, just, you know, a Laker. He, Kobe was basketball for, for so many people, and, and I think um, he he really just proved that throughout the entirety of his career. Yeah, and, you know, for, for me, that, that statement really rings true. You know, when I first started watching basketball, um, you know, for real, for real, it was that, it was that 07, 08 season, his MVP season, first year, um, where, you know, Lakers and Celtics meet in that finals. And so um, Kobe was the first star that I gravitated to, and he was the first one that kind of made me uh, fall in love with the game. And so my favorite, my favorite Kobe moment, and it's funny because it's not even a great Kobe game. It was, it's game seven of 2010 um, against Boston, and Kobe goes, I think, six for 22, and that's like, 22 points and it's not a good game it's not a great shooting game but he has 14 rebounds and makes the pass to run our test and you know they they win the chip but it was it was so fun to see um Kobe get his fifth one you know he passes Shaq he he and just see, seeing him jump on the scores table and have the confetti fall on him and be and be be vindicated because people, because you know, people were still saying, you know, he, he you only have one without Shaq, and so I know you got back here, but can you win it again? And so for him to go back to back and be a back to back Finals MVP and get to and get to you know forget the the Jordan conversation, but even to have as many rings as Magic and put himself legitimately in that conversation to where it's it's probably one A and one B for who's the greatest Laker of all time. And so for for me, that's my favorite. That's my favorite Kobe moment, you know. I've been reading a lot of columns, as I'm sure y'all have been. Mm -hmm. I've been reading a lot from LA Times and all over the country. But um, the interesting thing is, I mean, you have to acknowledge his entire story whenever you think about Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And there's the 2003 case. And the thing about Kobe is, especially for the people that are a little bit older than us who were – around to watch him get into the league and watch him make mistakes on and off the court and watch him grow up literally in front of LA in one of the hardest markets in the world to perform. Um, and just to see him make those mistakes in every aspect of life and to see him and that kind of inch toward that final phase of what he was going to be as a dad, as a former player, as a mentor, um, it kind of just reminded me like how much this dude meant. Cause he really, I think it was Bill Plaschke from the LA times who talked about it. Like he was just like us after retirement. And that's what people gravitated to so much toward is because he went from this immortal figure to you know, a dad. And that was just so cool to see him do so well and succeed with the Mamba Academy. Yeah. And, and so, you know, along, along with, with Kobe and his daughter, um, there were seven others, you know that that died in that crash, and one of them was um, was uh, head baseball coach David Pierce's his former college roommate John uh, Altobelli and Alex and Marcus. You guys, you know, on Sunday you guys put up a story about that, and so um, you know I just want you guys to to talk about 
about, you know, his legacy and, and you know, his story? Yeah, so um, Coach Pierce put out a statement. Uh, he put it out on Twitter on Monday morning. Um, Alex and I had – Alex had noticed that uh, that they were teammates in college, and, and Coach Pierce um, – said in, in his statement that um, that they were roommates, um, that they have had the best relationship two old guys on opposite sides of the country could have, um, <clears throat> and that, um, you know, he's got to see his, his him grow up with his family for the last um, 35 years. Um, and so clearly this is a guy that, um, that Coach Pierce um, was close with. They, they were uh, teammates at the University of Houston um, before Altabelli uh became the coach at uh, Orange Coast uh, Community College and um, uh, from there Altabelli was the head coach um, for I believe it was um, 28 years um, yep. and um, he's, he's been the head coach there for the last 28 years um, before uh, the helicopter crash that killed him and um, his daughter who was uh, Gigi's teammate and then uh, Altabelli's wife. Yeah, and part of the statement from Pierce was uh, also was special. We were roommates in college, and we've had the best relationship two old guys on opposite sides of the country could have. We've seen each other's family grow, and lives change for 35 years. He was so proud of his children, JJ, Lexi, and Alyssa. They were his world. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he, he leaves two kids behind, um, Alexis and JJ. And, I mean, just as somebody who's covered um, Coach Pierce and been able to talk to him one-on-one, after seasons and just kind of getting to know him. Um, I mean, it, it hurts anybody, but just imagining, you know, David Pierce hurting and the Texas program hurting and obviously Altabelli's family hurting. Um, it's just unfortunate. It's just hard to imagine how how big of an impact this one crash has had on, on the entire world, really. Yeah, this... <sighs> I don't, I don't know if there's been anything, and obviously we're all super young, but I don't think... In, in recent memory, there's been um, an event that's kind of, um, and I don't think it would be unfair to say stop the world for, for a moment. You know, um, things, things go and things move very, very fast in this age. And for everybody to kind of stop what they're doing and think about not only the families that, that were involved, but I guess your own, you know, mortality in a sense is it's really, really, um, it's different. To see to see the entire world do that, and so um, we wish the best um, for all the families that were, that were affected, and um, from everybody here at Texan Overtime, our thoughts and prayers go out to all those families. We'll be right back. All right, you know we're back from break. Um, this is kind of a hard transition because there's not really a, a right transition, but we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and move forward. Um, Texas men's basketball has been struggling lately. And it seems like every year we we go through the same cycle of at the beginning of the year, they get a great, a great non-conference win and they they give everybody hope every single year. And as soon as conference play starts, everything falls to pieces. And so I know, Alex, you're you're on the beat right now. What's please what's going on? It's interesting because from the outside, um, you know, I'm like. You and everybody, all the other Texas fans who who have seen these really strong non-conference performances against Duke, North Carolina in previous years, and then this year a road win against Purdue, um, and that's the thing. Like people, 
really want Shaka Smart to succeed here. And I know Texas fans would probably push back on that at this point. I think, you know, the overwhelming answer is they they want him gone. Um, but I know you wrote about this last week. The buyout is just so dang yeah. big. Um, but, I mean, last week, it was a little over a week ago, um, Texas was going into, I think, what, they were 12-4. and four, um, And they were they had a, oh, a week stretch where they were playing number six, Kansas, number 14, West Virginia, and then LSU. Yeah. And that was this past Saturday. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, going into it, we all said, you know, this team needs to win one of those games. You're not expected to win out. You're not expected to win even two of those games. But you need to beat LSU, or you at least you can't lose to West Virginia by 38 points. And they were down by almost 50 at one point. And so um, now you're you're limping into a road contest against TCU. By the time this comes out, we'll already know what the result of that game is. But, you know, they aren't like the next four out right now like they they are struggling to fight to even be in consideration to be a team just trying to fight for that last spot in the big dance and so you know coming off last year nit past few years Rashaga hasn't you know he's still searching for that first tournament victory um this is kind of you know they're in desperation mode at this point yeah we've so we've talked about um <laughs> we've talked about in in football this is like Tom Herman's last chance this year after you know firing the coordinators and stuff this is Shaka's last chance right now because if they don't make some almost miraculous surge here to end the season um then I mean it's it's do or die for Shaka and the rest of the season schedule um is not, I mean, it's not going to be an easy stretch uh, to end the year. Right now, um, Texas has lost five of the last seven. Um, and, I mean, the last three against Kansas, you know, a big loss. West Virginia, uh, one of the biggest losses we've seen in recent memory. And then LSU, uh, that, I think that was hopeful, but you can't have, you know, uh, moral victories at this point in the season and at this point in Shaka's career. That 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 West Virginia game, and I really want to go back to that. That game was extremely funny to watch for for me, just because all all of us were in the office watching it. To um, we were all watching that that game together, and and it, it started off, and they, they were competitive. I, and I think we we started you know having a little side conversation, and as soon as we look back to the TV, they're down twenty, and all of us are just looking around like, yo, what is happening, right? After 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 that, they go. You know, they end up losing by thirty eight. They get destroyed. And you you mentioned it. You know, I I wrote this this column last week. Um, basically, it's it's time for Shaka to go. I and there it is. <laughs> it is. It is. It's time for him to Johnny's go. Calling for heads, man. <laughs> you you have to listen. I and I want I want to tell you all this. Shaka's been here since 2015, 2016, Right. 20, last year, conference record eight and ten. The year before, conference record eight and ten. The year before, conference record four and fifteen, four and fourteen. His first year here, he went eleven and seven. That's the only year that he's had a winning record inside the conference. And this year, it looks like they're once again going to have a losing record in conference. And so, and so, if if that happens, Shaka Smart would be the only Texas head coach to have four consecutive losing seasons within the conference at texas as a program right they don't allow that to happen and whenever it does it's under two different regimes right this has gone on for too long 
I, I think we can all agree that the only thing that saved his job last year was the NIT championship. It, it I mean, let's, yeah. let's let's be honest. That's the only thing that that saved his job. And, and the buyout. And and the buy, yeah, yeah and the, the buyout would have been about like thirteen million. Here's last, the thing, though. Uh, who, there was someone I'm, I'm trying to remember who somebody I think it was a journalist posed a really good question on Twitter, and it's this: like you mentioned, Tom Herman. This next season is shaping up to be his de- era-defining campaign right. at Texas, um, and if that doesn't work out, that's another buyout. And so, I, I mean, I know it's Texas, but how much money are they willing to hash out on two coaches in the span of what six, seven months? And so, um, I'm interested to see if they get back in the NIT and they make another run to MSG. Like, what NIT. if they? back-to-back champs the, there was one interesting point this is a quick side note um on saturday they were getting absolutely worked by lsu i think they were down by 16 early in the second half and they could not get out of the double digit deficit um and then almost out of desperation shaka called a full court press and that's kind of what every single texas basketball fan has been begging for just to for shaka to bring that defensive mindset that got him so popular they gained him so much popularity at VCU. Um, and I asked, I said, Golden, um, why he didn't bring that to Texas? Because I know that is what had Texas fans so excited about this hire. And he said, and I mean, it makes sense. He said, you, you can't get four and five star players here exactly, and get them to full court press like you got them at VCU, where they're two, three star guys who are just more than willing to play whatever you tell them to play. And so... It's interesting because there was that that full court press is what got them back in the game, and it had everybody at the Frank Irwin Center on their feet. And I haven't felt that atmosphere even against the can in the Kansas game when that was a close game. Um, that was one of the ten minute stretches of Shaka's campaign at Texas where fans were kind of believing in him. But it that kind of encapsulates Shaka's tenure, though, right? Shaka has amazing moments, and he and. There's been moments with this team in his in his tenure where you think that you think they're gonna do it, and they they look like they're right there, and then something just happens, and it doesn't go the way that that it should go, and that's that's the problem. So at a at a certain point, as much as you like Shaka, as much as you respect him, the results are the results, and the buyout is too big, the contract is too big for people to be operating on on just I like you. Right. And to take a shot at you guys, you guys both know what that feels like as Cowboys fans. Right. Wow. (laughs) I know. Listen, I can always bring it back. That's fair. Right. It is fair. (laughs) But but at at a certain point, like and and on a serious note, at a certain point, you have to bring results and it's just not happening. And so that's why for me, I really think that it's time for him to go. I'm trying to piece together like what exactly went wrong here, because this similar to the Charlie Strong hire is like what the heck went wrong and I don't know if it's the only thing to me that I'm reaching for to kind of make sense of all of these failures in the past few years is that he's not getting to develop his guys for three plus years you're getting these first round picks and they're off and you have to replace them immediately and he's replaced them but after that next year they're gone and so you get this kind of fragmented sort of team that you just aren't used to working or building with. And so, I mean, that's not an excuse. And that's really where that failure is, is him as a coach not being able to adjust his system or his way of coaching 
to find a way to coach half a team that's here for three years and two other guys that are going to be on the NBA by, at this time next year. Yeah, I was going to say with the the Charlie Strong comparison, like, is it wrong to say that it just might not be a good fit, which is not like a great explanation that doesn't like actually give you any insight into, you know, what happened. But I think with with Charlie, like a lot of people around Austin liked Charlie like that, like that wasn't his deal. And I think the same way that I think a lot of people have felt the same way about Shaka um, up until, you know, recent years when he hasn't produced results. But I I could see the um, the fact that he's not allowed he's not getting time to develop his players being a problem, but at the same time, like it it takes a certain level of um, comfort, just comfort to uh, to be able to um, succeed at a at a big program like Texas, and um, that's not to say that Shaka may not still be a great coach, but to say that he's not the right fit here I don't think is um an an understatement and 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 I think at the same time um I I think Shaka just maybe wasn't ready for this position and and like you said with he's getting all these guys that are in, are leaving after one year two years um and that's not something that he was used to at VCU um and I think he still hasn't uh, figured out a way to make the team cohesive and and um, play as a unit uh, without that continuity. Yeah, and so I and so I want to wrap this this segment up real quick. And so I'm gonna ask you guys a question to finish it out. I think I already know the answer. Um, does Texas make the NCAA tournament, Alex? No. Marcus? Absolutely not. And th- I mean, the reason is th- they're battling injuries right now. Like th- this team isn't exactly rolling. I mean, victory wise or health wise, like the Hepa is out. Um, and then Gerald's out. Gerald yeah, Liddell's right. out. And so, you know, they – you're going to see Shaka, I'd imagine you're going to see him play around with rotations, but this isn't the time of year where you're supposed, supposed to, to be experimenting. do that. And right. he doesn't – to be fair, I mean, he doesn't have a choice. But um, in the Big 12, in such a weird conference where there are a lot of good teams and a lot of mediocre teams that can – they're more than capable of beating any team in this conference. Right. Um, you know, they are not in a great situation right now. And so I, I'd say NIT um, – I have to admit, I have to do some more research on NIT bound teams before I commit to saying that they're going to go to New York again. But, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that's my final answer. I don't think there's any way they get back into the, the big dance. Yeah, they have to win every winnable game from here on out, which just won't happen. <laughs> and they have to upset <laughs> there's, some teams. Y- y- exactly. They have to win plus like a couple upsets. And with the inconsistencies with injuries and just overall, there's just no way. Well, you heard it here first. Texas is not going back. They're not going to find a way back to the NCAA tournament. We're going to take one more break. We're going to be back with Maya Taylor to talk about women's basketball. And so we'll see you guys in a quick second. Schedule your reservation for New York City. All right, and we're back from break for the second time. So this time I'm joined by Maya Taylor, our um, one of the women's basketball writers here at the Daily Texan. What's going on, Maya? Nothing much. Just chill, chill Wednesday. Chill Wednesday. That's good. And so, um, so right now, right, Texas women. And so yeah, so they're coming off of this huge win against Oklahoma and, and Norman. Um, over this five-game winning streak, what's What's been the key to to their success to get back on track? Because they were going mm-hmm. through kind of a, a rough patch before. Right, right. Yeah, they this year has just been so up and down for them. Um, but I, I feel like they're finally starting to get a rhythm, and a lot of that has to do with 
their veterans, you know, like Suge was injured. Uh, LaShawn came back from that injury from last season. And so they're starting to get more involved, and especially in the game against against Oklahoma State on the road. uh, You really saw Suge take over the game late and make those key plays. Um, You see Charlie Collier, she's just really been – amazing she's been dominating if she's not you know averaging a double double then she's shooting from three I think she had four threes Mm -hmm. at Oklahoma State um and so they've just been really really battling it out with their opponents fighting until the end Karen you know she always emphasizes they need to play a 40 minute game um and so they've really done that and they've really just like I said they fought until the end Charlie's Charlie's a really really interesting case because Last last year, she was playing, you know, she, she was a freshman. She was just coming in. And there were times where she looked, she looked, you can clearly see that she needed to grow, right? You clearly, and as all freshmen do, but you needed to see that, you saw that she needed to get bigger. And this year, Karen talked about it a little bit. Um, in the beginning of the season, she thought that Charlie was going to have, you know, her breakout year. Yeah. I was a little suspect of it. What is it about Charlie this year that, because something's gotten into it. She's played yeah. fantastic this year. What what has it been about about Charlie this season? You know, I think it's just that she realizes that she has to be a leader on this team because there, there are a lot of young people Um and I mean, I think she was like, if not, she was like number two, maybe person like recruited out of high school. So she, I mean, she knows her expectations. She knows what she has to do. And this past summer, Karen, she often describes it as just a crucial summer between the freshman and sophomore season. And so, you know, Charlie, she worked on her shot. She, she hit the gym. She, she just realizes that it's time to step up, uh, especially with all of the young people, even though she's young herself. Um, cause you know, the other seniors, they're going to be out the door. Mm-hmm. So for the next couple of years, it will be all about Charlie. And so just her, her finding, I guess that, that role, um, where would you put her in terms of the pecking order on this team right now? Oh, that's hard because Joyner, um, you know, Joyner's still doing her thing. It's really those two, they, you know they're like double trouble, you know, in the paint, nobody can really stop them. Um, but I think I'd, I'd put Charlie a notch above Joyner just because of her shooting. Um, and so for her to be a big and then also be able to shoot like that, that's makes her a very valuable asset to mm. Texas for sure. There's a big game on Friday, yeah. right? As everyone knows. So yeah, so Baylor's coming into the Frank Irwin Center. They're first in the conference. Texas is two. Uh, it's the first meeting this season. What does Texas have to do, in your opinion, to 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 get to get this win? Because there's still a couple games back yeah. from Baylor, and there's right. still ground to make up. But obviously, the first stepping stone is going to be getting this win at home against mm-hmm. Baylor. So, what do they have to do in order to get that done? You know, in every every single game that they played against, uh, like a, a great opponent, like when they played Stanford, when they played Tennessee they have to get ahead first. They absolutely have to. And they can't turn the ball over because that's that's been a problem um, in the past few games. And they've still managed to pull out wins. But that's not gonna that's not gonna fly with Baylor because yeah, you know they've been they just beat Iowa State, I think, by like 20, 20 points or so. Um, and so I just they really can't turn the ball over. They have to play aggressive. They can't they've had issues with fouling. They can't foul out their main players. 
um, and just playing a complete 40-minute game, staying focused, they really, they really need to do that. It's really weird um, seeing, and kind of over the last two, two and a half seasons, there's, Karen's talked a lot about starting fast. And I think this year's team and last year's team, one of the main issues that they've both had is they don't they don't always start out fast and they kind of they try mm-hmm. to ease their way into the game where there's just some games that you can't right right you just can't ease your way into um and so going in, into this Baylor game do you think that it's going to have to be a Charlie centered um offense do you think Suge is going to have to be the one because when 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 Suge is when Suge gets going it's kind of it's an up and down game right Suge mm-hmm. likes to she likes to to distribute she's not really a scorer like that right she wants the game to be kind of fast paced when you play from inside with Charlie it's kind of a slow down game um do you think that that this game is going to fit more to Suge or more to Charlie you know i think i think Suge just because like you said she gets people involved Um, especially the bench we've seen the the bench play really well the past few games and and in a lot of ways the bench has won the games for Texas so I just you know I think Charlie's still gonna do her thing Joyner's still gonna do her thing but it's gonna come down to the other details and the other members of the team to get those extra points and I think if you're looking for somebody to help facilitate the offense Suge Suge is the person who wins You know, um, I think I think Texas can pull it off. Really? Yes, I do. Just because they they've proven that they can beat a highly ranked team. I mean, I know that Baylor, they're the reigning champions, um, and you know maybe um, them and Stanford aren't comparable. But I think with Texas being on this five game winning streak, with them being at home. You know, building that confidence, and I really think that they have they have it in them to pull off the win. Is the game closer, or does or does Texas stretch it out and, and get a get a signature win for this season? It's going to be close. It's it, it's it Baylor. Do you have do you have any type of score prediction? You know, I think it's going to be higher scoring, um, and I'd say like maybe let's say. 7063 Texas. That's all for this week of Texan Overtime. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow Texan Sports on Twitter and check out all of our stories at thedailytexan.com. We'll see you guys next week.